Hello, welcome to Conversations on the Avenue with me, Arslan Mohammed. In this series of podcasts, we engage with artists, curators and critics working in the art scenes in around the Middle East and the surrounding regions. Today, we're meeting a couple of architects and designers, the Palestinian brothers Elias and Yusuf Anastas, who are behind an intriguing sculpture now installed in Al-Sakal Avenue's concrete exhibition venue. It's called While We Wait, and it's here in Dubai as part of its global tour, which started at the Victorian Albert Museum in London, who commissioned the piece as part of the London Design Festival, before it travelled to Dubai as part of Dubai Design Week, on its way to its permanent home in the Cremison Valley near Bethlehem, where it will be situated in a tranquil outdoor setting, near a monastery in the shadow of the Israeli Separation Wall. So, while we wait, is a fir cone-shaped stone structure. It comprises precision-cut stone quarried from three locations across Palestine. It uses a combination of traditional and current methods. Elias and Yusuf assemble the piece to reflect the age-old artisanal building techniques in Palestine, or stereotomy, the art of cutting stones for assembly. At one time, around the time of the Ottomans, it was actually mandatory for new buildings in Palestine to use just stone. But these days, it tends to be concrete with stone facades. So when you see While We Wait, what you're going to see is a lattice-like structure, which in its repetitive lozenge-like pattern ever so slightly reminds me of the Jean Nouvel canopy at the new Louvre in Abu Dhabi. It gently curves upwards, and you'll notice how the stone lightens as you look upwards from deep red at the bottom to pale, luminous ivory towards the apex. You can really visualise this in the countryside near Bethlehem, where it's destined. There's a sort of meditative and peaceful ambience about the work. You can move around it, stand inside it, and absorb the atmosphere with the evocative sound elements that are part of the installation. It's a very peaceful, very profound symbol of identity, tranquility and permanence, inspired by a traumatised landscape. So... As the piece came to Dubai, I met up with the designers, Elias and Yusuf Anastas, and the V&A curator responsible for commissioning and overseeing the project, Salma Tukan. We all squeezed into a room in the middle of concrete, and this is what we talked about. So on the left of me is, uh, is Yusuf Anastas, and on the right of me is Ilyas, his brother, his older brother. People think they're twins, but they're not. And they are architects and designers based between Bethlehem and, and Paris. And I came across their work a few years ago when I was taking a research trip to Palestine. Um, I had been traveling to Ramallah, to Jerusalem, and in Bethlehem, I'd been asking a lot of people if they could recommend designers or architects who were working in interesting ways. And uh, actually, a mutual friend uh, told me about their work, and we had uh, sort of bombarded them and came into the studio and was really intrigued by the way that they worked and the research they focused on. What sort of things were they doing when you saw them, when you first encountered them? Well, you had a project in Paris. It was the installation you were working on in Paris. Um, but it was then the Stone Matters project that really intrigued me. Could, we just, could you maybe tell me a little bit about what it was that really snagged your attention about the way they work? Well, so I think in terms of the, the process for LDF, just to kind of situate it a little bit, is that um, 
I work full time at the V&A mm. and um, obviously design is a big component of what we do. So for me, working in the region, commuting between art and design, what I found is that there are far fewer opportunities for Arab designers to work with institutions and to engage in large publics, work in public domain, um, but also to work in a way to sort of develop their practice more conceptually and have um, fewer issues in terms of commercial pressures um, placed on them. Um, so in a way, the platform of working and commissioning something for the London Design Festival felt even more urgent. Um, a year ago, I approached about six designers across Palestine, Jordan, Saudi and Lebanon. I mean, all of the designers came back with proposals. And I think Elias, for me, Elias and Yusuf's um, was fascinating because it was so multi-layered. Um, it drew on... Um, sort of research they've been doing on the know-how, cultural know-how of this material, really embedded in research. It, there was a practical component of it as well. It, they had a, it had a lovely relationship and poetic sort of uh, symbolic um, notion behind it. And it related very well to some of the ideas behind the V&A. I think it's time now we meet Ilyas and Yusuf. And OK, guys, can you first introduce yourselves to us? So I'm Yusuf Anastas. I'm an architect and I'm, an, uh, I'm a civil engineer as well. I work between um, Bethlehem and Paris. Hi, I'm Elias Anastas. I'm an architect and uh, yeah, I'm as well based between uh, Bethlehem and Paris. Um, and we are uh, with Yusuf partners in our architectural studio, uh, which uh, deals with the um, public buildings, but as well with research projects and uh, the production of industrial design. Okay, and the project you have here in Dubai is called While We Wait. We'll get into the specifics of the process, of the themes behind it, and uh, to me what's very interesting is the way you work with stone and the symbolism of that. But first of all, I'd like to ask you, why is it called Why We Wait? That's a great question, because they have been repeating this quote in the 30 catalogues they signed yesterday, so... <laughs> so, should I read the catalogue right. instead? <laughs> you guys are like, oh, not this question now. <laughs> no. uh, the project actually articulates two different uh, uh, poles of research. One, uh, the first one is linked to our actual research on stone and how to replace stone as one of the noble materials in construction in Palestine. Uh, so there's this technical aspect and um, the research on material, but the other one is inspired by the Kremizan Valley, which is uh, one of uh, one of the natural resources we have uh, on the western extremity of Bethlehem. And in this specific area, there's uh, currently a threat uh, of losing this whole uh, inherited landscape. Just tell us briefly what is happening there at the moment in the Kremizan Valley, because that's by the in the shadow of the wall, isn't it, of the partition wall? And there's also a monastery there. Yeah as well. So can you just fill in a little bit of background for us as to this, the significance of this particular location? So the, the uh, Kremizan Valley hosts actually a monastery from the 18th century and it's currently being threatened to be completely cut from the city by the, through the passage of the wall. Um, the local community uh, of the Kremizan Valley and the monks of the monastery started a very interesting form of protest uh, three years ago. They gather weekly uh, on Fridays uh, and they meditate around landscape, protesting the passage of the wall. And it's a form of, uh, um, I mean, it's a very interesting form of mm. uh, manifestation on the way of um, attributing and uh, investigating the ways of invest investing mm -hmm. the landscape. Um, so basically, the uh, one of the leaders of these gatherings, uh, Monsignor Michel Sabah from Jerusalem, uh, once uh, del delivered a speech and he said, 
they raise double walls, uh, one wall on the ground and a wall in their hearts. One day the wall on the ground will uh, collapse and the, wa- and, the wall <laughs> and the wall in their hearts will we'll crumble, crumble while we wait. Okay, so that's where it comes from. <laughs> Yusuf, do you want to uh, talk also about Kremison? Yeah, yeah, so, so, uh, so actually the, um, the, the Palestinian city is historically uh, composed of a sort of a dense urban uh, nucleus and a, a surrounding landscape that are, that are kept free as a way of preserving uh, nature and the landscape. And so these two elements work together uh, conditionally. So and and so this this sort of model has been uh, progressively disappearing s- ever since urban authority has been put in place in Palestine and this started um, back at the period of the Ottoman Empire uh, and and so today we are, we reach a sort of uh, paroxysm in this uh, in this um, transfiguration of, of of this model uh, where landscape is being. Uh, uh, transfigured and destroyed by um, a race to, to urbanize and also uh, with a sort of a different claim over nature uh, that is actually uh, uh, expanding and becoming uh, uh, a threat to the natural uh, environment. And the Kremizan Valley is an extreme example of this transfiguration of the model because it's a uh, it's on the western part of uh, Bethlehem, and it's uh, it, uh, the separation wall is currently built and will separate the valley in two parts. The last part of the wall, so you can see uh, the wall from one side and from the other, and the, uh, the connection between the two sides, the two extremities, the two ends of the wall. So now we come to this project that you've created here. So inspired by this situation inspired by your extensive research using stone as a material and the specificity of stone coming from the land. Could you tell me how you came up with the particular design we have here? What informed this decision, how you got to the particular structure, the form, the interlocking shapes and so on? So the, 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 we, we have been working on a research project involving stone. Uh, in the beginning, it was a sort of a reaction to... Uh, a sort of a law that we inherited in Palestine from the Ottoman Empire, uh, which forces everyone to build uh, everything with stone. Um, and actually, the, 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 the Ottomans ha- have put in place a law for uh, stone quarries. They, they, used to, they, they created a tax for stone quarries, and at the same time, they created this law that forces everyone to build with stone. So since the Ottoman era, everybody in Palestine had to build using stone? Yeah. The, the the problem is that uh, until the beginning of last century, uh, stone was used as a structural material. Today we're, we're building everything out of concrete mm. and cladding everything with stone. And, and, and this is a general tendency that is more universal and you can find this uh, case anywhere in the world, but it's even more striking in Palestine because of the number of stone quarries we have and because of the... Um, uh, if we take into account uh, uh, the um, the techniques and the local know-how we had uh, for stone construction, we we, we had like uh, workers that were specialized in uh, vault constructions, and uh, and and so in Palestine, the the typology of the vault is really um, everywhere in the in the common architectural language, and so th- this this know-how has been completely erased 
Yeah, and 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 this goes hand in hand with the with, with the change in the use of stone. But if you go back to the stereotomy, which is the way of cutting uh, stones in certain shapes in order to assemble them in larger configurations, stereotomy has the at least the first witness we know historically of stereotomy is in Syria, and uh, and stereotomy has been reimported by the crusaders in the region. So it's a sort of a indigenous imported know-how so it's a sort of a mix of know-hows uh, through time why did you arrive at this particular form so so the global shape of uh, so so we tried to work uh, in a sort of a back and forth procedure between the global shape and the shape of the element itself uh, so the the way it's assembled uh, and the implication it has on the global shape. The global shape is approximately 4.5 meters high, and it's 3.5 meters long and 2 meters wide. Uh, it's made out of 600 elements of stone that interlock and that are mutually supported, meaning that if you remove one of the elements, uh, the structure might collapse. So they're not secured in place. They're, they're just balanced on, they're, they're balanced on each other, interlocking this way, holding each other together, yeah. which I imagine is a very symbolic uh, statement. You know, like, like you said, you remove one, and yeah, exactly. yeah. the whole thing comes tumbling down. Yeah, so, so there was that sort of uh, relation between the, the, the way the, the structure uh, uh, behaves mm. in, in, in sort of a technical, uh, completely technical aspect and, and the... And the um, and the way it is uh, inserted into the natural uh, landscape and playing with this uh, relation with the, with the surrounding landscape, with the nature, and also in contrast with the, uh, this uh, violence of the transfiguration of the uh, natural environment. So I've seen projects where you've created something which has a specific function, like okay. a shelter, yeah, yeah, yeah. and then you're working here where you have a piece which is defined by an ideology, yeah, okay. by ideas, by con by concepts. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And I was just wondering, kind of in general, if you could talk a little bit about how you yeah. approach these very different ways of working. The difference is the actually we, we try not to exclusively work on the technical aspect of the even even though the research on stone has some technical uh, aspects we try not to exclusively focus on these when we create a, a project so for example for the El Atlal uh, artist residency it's uh, it's a sort of a first prototype that is, is still under testing for this project while we wait the 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 idea was to work more on the relation between architecture and nature and to create a sort of an architecture of relations. Disregarding uh, the, the technical aspect, it's, it's, it's mainly a, a project about the relation between architecture and nature, which is um, disappearing from the uh, content of the Palestinian city. And the pair of you have been working now with stone for quite a long time. I believe, as Salma mentioned, you had a project called Stone Matters. Uh, Stone Matters uh, is a research that we started in 2013, focusing on using stereotomy uh, as a vector of reusing stone as a noble material in construction and in contemporary architecture. And in the we ha we are uh, we were fortunate to have this um, partnership with the Al Atlal Residency. In which, which residency? Al Atlal. Oh, yes, yes. So this this uh, residency that is uh, a young uh, initiative happening in Jericho. Um, and the idea is to explore the outcome of the research in order to generate a set of different uh, vaulted spaces 
that would uh, somehow illustrate the fact of uh, how we could actually link the uh, scale of technique in construction in order to obtain different uh, typo typological forms in the city and how the urban form in the city is linked actually to the technique. Well, the stone that you've used in this sculpture comes from all across Palestine. And you can see that because you've put the colours in such a way that it fades upwards. Can you talk a little bit about this, how you find different types of stone in different regions and what that means to you in this sculpture? Uh, so basically, yeah, we, we worked with the three different stone quarried from Hebron, Bethlehem and uh, Beit Fajar is a re region between Bethlehem and Hebron. Okay, so Jerusalem, yeah. Hebron and Bethlehem. And each of these stones have their own properties. I mean, some are more maybe softer and porous, others are harder. Did you find anything like that? Yeah, sure. They're all limestone, uh, but gradually, for example, the stone we have from Jerusalem is a stone that had uh, very high uh, technical properties. It's something that is very similar to the uh, marble that you have in Italy. And uh, we worked as well on the uh, different colors uh, used in order to somehow anchor the structure in its uh, natural landscape in the Kremizan Valley. So we started uh, stratas of red uh, stone going on the top with white, uh, somehow linking a sort of, uh, uh, creating a link between the red color of the initial stones with the color of the soil. So you had to figure out a way of making this transition from red up to white. And I really love the idea that this is Palestine, this is literally the land that you've used. You've actually used the, the fabric of the land and created in such a way that you had the whole spectrum in the work, like say from deep red up to white. And was that something that you knew that you wanted to do beforehand or as you were doing this, did this... I think this, the, the, these ideas sort of developed over the process. I mean, including the form of it when you were asking about why it took, for yeah. example, that tower shape, that also was just a sort of a development of different ideas and and the link also conceptually with it, the sort of um, curve of the stones that were then used and how it might mirror also the natural curve and the landscapes were ideas that were sort of developed over time throughout the process. That's interesting. So, so I imagine you guys were talking, having conversations very closely collaborating throughout this. I mean, what, what do you remember of this process? I mean, fatigue. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, I think it's it's really been it's been really lovely. It's been a sort of a three person team working consistently on it. It's been a labor of love, actually. Um, you know, all of us have worked on this for the last nine months. Another thing that other thing that was sort of added and sort of developed throughout the process was the other collaborators within the project. So we worked very closely with um, a photographer and filmmaker called Michaela Burstow from the inception and Todd Abushi, who's a sound artist and musician who actually performed yesterday um, for the opening night. And those were components of it that ended up becoming very essential, essential to the project. So, yeah, I mean, it's uh, including actually the idea of bringing it to the Middle East, which became more and more pressing in, in our perspectives. As, and then it was it was always meant to be part of the, you know, inserted and born in the VNA. Um, and then, you know, adapting into much more of a sort of functional, used, lived, worn object by the community and by nature when it goes to the valley. But as the project progressed, we realized that actually it would acquire a very different notion um, bringing it to somewhere in the Middle East and trying to find the right sort of site for that. So, um, You mentioned something earlier which I would like to hear some more about, stereotomy. It sounds like a very...
painful medical procedure, but I understand it. It's the, uh, it's, uh, it's, it's the, the process of working with stone, with cutting stone. Uh, I think stereotomy is a complicated word to say something simple. So it's just uh, the way you cut a stone in, in the aim of assembling it to other stones, neighboring stones, to form a global geometry. So if you, th if you think of a lintel, for example, the, the way you cut uh, the stones with certain angles in order to, uh, to uh, complete the, the, the geometry of the lintel is, is also a form of uh, stereotomy. We realized that some of the some of these techniques are also linked to urban morphology, and and to the way city is uh, the city is made. So if you, uh, for example, in Palestine, you can find in some um, some particular and specific places uh, details of stone uh, stereotomy that have implication on the immediate uh, architecture in which it is included. In which way? Uh, in, in the way that um, the way the stones are uh, cut and built uh, one, one next to each other, they create a sort of a space that has a particular shape and in a particular form that is also linked to the capacities we had at the time this house or this building was built to cut the stones in a certain way. So the, the technique is completely linked to the... Uh, to the form of, of, of the uh, of the, the house or the building, and uh, and so certain typologies are created according to the capacities of uh, the techniques and the tools yeah. available. Because, like you mentioned now, the techniques you can discern by looking when when it was done. So you can see that this was done in a certain period or a certain era. And when I was reading about the project that you've done, I was very interested to see that you use the latest, most technologically advanced methods, and then you also reference traditional ancient methods, and you sort of bring the two together. Could you sort of expand on that a little bit for me? I mean, how, how did that work, using very up-to-date methods and then referencing uh, much more older techniques and, and stereotomies? Um. I think what's really interesting is that in Palestine there's a, there's a very strong link between uh, Palestinians and stone, and it comes from the fact that we are very much uh, anchored in the land, and as stone is extracted from the land, it somehow generates this very emotional uh, link. Um, so basically, yeah, the stereotomy uh, in this very particular project is inspired by a specific lintel that we found in the historic center of Bethlehem. And uh, so basically, we try to develop algorithms that are um, somehow generate uh, stability for the overall structure to the form. Yeah, just to mention the form or the stereotomy obtained for the project is uh, it, it, so it's dictated by this algorithm, but it's as well inspired by the, by the different uh, uh, curved and organic shapes that we found that we can see actually in the Crimson Valley. And it's uh, the overall shape of the structure is as well. We wanted something that didn't have any edges, something that uh, flow uh, very. Easy, I mean, would marry uh, easily the different shapes of the of the natural landscape of the Crimson Valley, and it would act sort of uh, like a sort of a stone dentelle curtain in the middle of the valley and generating this uh, transparency and porosities through the different penetrations. To your question about modern and traditional uh, techniques, I think the 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 idea is not to uh, to um, 
to fall in the trap of nostalgic and romantic ways of uh, f- uh, f- uh, folklore and uh, but m- more in more more we're more interested in the way uh, we uh, try to use the available techniques to other uh, to to create uh, results that are different from those uh, that were initially uh, 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 Imagined, mm. so so for example, for the for the stone structure here, we worked with uh, several factories, and those factories have the uh, have some tools that they use for other purposes. So they they actually uh, mainly uh, produce elements of stone that are uh, replicas of Corinthian capitals and columns, and that they sell to uh, to uh, nostalgic clients. So very ornate and decorative. Yeah, exactly. So we use those same tools to create uh, structures that uh, uh, that that highlight the 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 physical capacities of uh, stone. Mm. So Salman, you mentioned it just now, uh, and this leads on from what you're saying. But the the artisans and the factories you worked with. Could you talk a little bit about the people that were involved with this project along the way in helping fabricate the, the sculpture? I mean, I I wasn't working personally with the with the sort of the factories on the ground, so maybe it's better for 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 you guys to answer to answer that. But I I was sort of referring to they so alongside I don't know whether you had read but alongside um, their architectural practice they also have um, a brand under the name of Local Industries which also plays on some of what you mentioned. So I thought it might be useful to to talk about it. Local Industries. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yes, I think our practice is very much linked to makers. So we started a few years ago in 2013 uh, a network that we call Local Industries in which we uh, collabor- collaborate very uh, intimately with artisans. Um, it started with the project uh, of a music conservatory that we built in Bethlehem uh, where we had a very limited budget for the furniture, and we decided to work with the all, all the artisans involved in the building to generate a whole collection of uh, furniture for the building that would fit into the budget that we had at the time. And we found that actually this relationship uh, on a daily basis changed completely our our way of thinking space uh, and even architecture, because working um, on a chair, for example, uh, uh, and details of assembly or uh, even perception of material uh, had an implication on how we perceive architecture. So we decided to maintain this um, this network and uh, nourish this activity with artisans um, through our architectural practice and research on material as well. So in the frame of uh, the World Weight Project, we worked with two different factories um, and the work relied on novel um, experimental techniques, but as well on the know-how and the capabilities of uh, of the local artisans. So this was very much part of the creative process, almost the, the what they could offer you, what they could offer you in terms of their know-how, their skills, really contributed to the final outcome. Yes, definitely. For example, the, the uh, for the friction and the mm. uh, how to uh, smoothen up the surfaces and how to take into consideration the uh, precision of the machines uh, was something that we experimented with them and tried to find the middle grounds uh, in order to generate the stability of the overall structure. You mentioned just now music, and music is obviously a big part of this installation here. Can you talk a little bit about the music and tell me who's behind it and why you actually felt that music would be integral to the finished work? Uh, 
So initially at the VNA we wanted to have a sort of an immersive experience within the daylit gallery uh, and we found two components that would uh, help the visitors to envision the whole landscape around the Crimson Valley while seeing the structure at, at the at the gallery. So we worked with a sound artist from Ramallah Tari Abushi who spent uh, a few days in the valley and tried to capture different uh, layers of sound. Uh, inspired again directly from the valley. Yes. Um, and he worked along with Michaela Busto, who uh, put together a sort of a film showing as well the different layers of the valley, uh, its direct context, and as well uh, its neighboring uh, landscapes that are evolving uh, very quickly with the passage of the wall, with the settlements, with the Palestinian villages around, and the monastery. Okay, well, I think that's pretty much everything. And I'd just like to thank all three of you for um, taking the time to answer our questions today and for coming to Dubai and being here. And uh, all the best with the project as it continues its its journey around the Middle East and ultimately back to the Kremsan Valley. Thank you. Thank, thank, you. thank you. Thank you. That was Elias and Yusuf Anastas in conversation with me and the curator Salma Tukan at Concrete in Dubai. And While We Wait is on show at the Azkal Avenue venue until November the 18th so don't miss it. Thanks again to the guys and to Salma and everyone at Al-Sakal Avenue for making this interview happen. And from me, Arsene Mohammed, it's also time to say goodbye and see you next time. Bye.